Hi, this is John from Nerd Noise Radio with a series of special announcements regarding the network and its programs. Today's date is June 4th, 2017. Long time no talk. Well, that might sound silly. I mean, you guys just heard my voice on episode 10 a few weeks ago, right? But perspective can be a funny thing. You might have just heard me, but in reality, I haven't been behind the mic since January 29th. So, as I said, long time no talk. Now, we've reached a milestone as a program. 10 episodes. Per Hugh Johnson of the Retro League, 10 is like the magic number between being a podcast and not being one. Or, you know, at least he said something along those lines a few years ago. In any case, I'll take the compliment. Uh, Also, since I'm doing 20 episodes a year, and I'm going to produce them in two sets of 10 every six months, that means season one is in the can now. I hope you've enjoyed listening to it as much as I've enjoyed making it, and I look forward to what's to come in the coming seasons of the show. Now, as I said, I have a series of announcements for you. Number one, there will be no new episodes for June. And no, nothing's wrong. It's it's just as I said, I want to do 10 episodes every six months. And uh, for this first 10, I blasted through them all in in five months. So I kind of overdid it. Um, So I'm just simply taking June off to recalibrate and get us back onto that schedule where we can stay forever and ever. We'll be back in business with episode 11, July 1st. Number two. For June, on the Twitter, Google+, and Facebook outlets, I'm going to drop down to just two days a week for sharing music. I've been doing so every other day, so that's almost cutting in half my output. And this is just to free me up to be more single-minded in my focus of getting the Season 2 episodes produced and ready to roll. So hopefully you guys will forgive me for the shortage there. Number three, starting in July, I'm going to be changing the way I do the social media VGM posts permanently into something with less posts each day, but more posts posts more frequently. We'll be going back to an everyday thing, but the number of tracks we share will be way smaller. I'm going to call it morning and evening, and <laughs> I don't think you're going to have any trouble deducing how that'll work. So through the magic of Hootsuite, I'll pre-schedule one post every morning and one post every evening, and though it'll be, certainly will be way more bite-sized and micro in its form factor, I'm even still going to keep the whole mishmash Monday, two for Tuesday, way back Wednesday, and so on thing. You know, if it's a theme Thursday, then the morning track and the evening track will be from, will be of a common theme. If it's a face-off Friday, then one of the tracks will be in the morning and then their track will be in the evening. The only exception to that will be if I'm doing more a more than two-way face-off, and then, of course, I'll have to figure something out. But you guys will, I'm sure, be able to roll with that. And then, of course, Soundtrack Saturday, I'll do a soundtrack in the morning and a soundtrack in the evening. So keep it as close to what we have now, only with fewer tracks. So, And another thing I'm going to do with the Twitter and the Facebook and the Google Plus is, uh, starting in July, I'm hitting the great big reset button on track sharing eligibility. So, And I'm going to do that every six months or so from now on. Uh, meaning that tracks I've already shared are eligible to be shared again. And the reason I'm doing that is because this Twitter thing, it's on Google Plus and Facebook, but it started out as a Twitter thing. It's kind of become kind of its own daily mini podcast. And in order to keep the Channel 1 thing going, plus start getting ready for Channel 2 and all that other stuff, it was just too much of a burden to maintain. So if I do this just two posts a day, and reset the eligibility every six months. That makes it a lot more manageable to me, and it still keeps content coming your way. Of course, I'm going to endeavor to 
to keep as high a ratio as possible of stuff that's never been featured on Nerd Noise before. So it's not going to just be the same six months of content on repeat forever and ever going forward. You don't have to worry about that. So yeah, hopefully that takes the pressure off me and still keeps things fresh for and enjoyable for you guys. Number four. Though March 14th and especially December 20th, 2018 may both seem very, very far away to us here in early June 2017, it's never too early to start planting bugs in your ears to start sending me tracks. Sending me tracks for what, you may ask? Well, March 14th, episode 25, will be our first Way Back Wednesday episode of the podcast. It's going to be a best of 2017 episode, meaning every track played between episodes 1 through 20 will be eligible. And I want the track list to feature a mix of my own picks and your picks, listener picks. So please start sending me tracks from episodes 1 through 20 that you think would be worth being in episode 25. And I'll start getting that curated. Episode 40 is going to be listener picks. So I don't mean like a best of. I mean, start sending me tracks you want to be on the show. And for episode 40, I will curate that. And that'll be it. I won't pick a single track for that episode. It'll all be you guys. So just send it to me however. You can get a hold of, you can send it to me over our Facebook, Twitter, Google+. You can get it to me on Blogspot, on YouTube. You can email me at nerdnoiseradio at gmail.com. I don't care. I mean, certified letter, barbershop, quartet, singing, telegram, guy in a bear, costume, carrier pigeon, you name it. Just get them to me, you know, by no later than the, let's say the 10th and a half hour. And I'll work as many of those into the program, into the episode as I can. So now five, starting late October, 2016, I've, I've had this top secret insider preview dummy feed operating under a completely ridiculous fake name. It was called Disco Santa's House of Impossible Conundrums, where I would sneak out episodes way early uh, to have a chance to receive feedback and and kind of reward the people who have kind of been supporting this from the very beginning. I think that has kind of run its course. I, while listenership on the main fe- on the real feeds are good, the dummy feed is only down to like four or five active listeners and. I, I have so many different vehicles for feedback now that I don't really need this kind of hush-hush thing. So Disco Santa's House of Impossible Conundrums, as it stands, will be going away, uh, effective immediately. But if you're subscribed to the feed, don't unsubscribe. Because I'm not killing the feed, I'm just going to rebrand it and repurpose it. Now it's going to be called Nerd Noise Radio Channel F. And it's just going to kind of be the catch-all. It's going to be where I have bonus content, where I have things that don't fit a channel mold. It's going to be kind of a beta program for possible future channels. You know, if I want to do a new channel, I'll just create some dummy episode or some beta, some pilot episodes, put them up there, let you guys weigh in on whether you think they warrant their own channel, whether you think they should be folded into an existing channel, or whether you think that I just need to forget the idea. Kind of like a funny or die, only not funny. <laughs> So now, if you're subscribed to the All Channels feed already, you're going to just get this Channel F content immediately because All Channel feed means All Channels. If you're subscribed to the Channel 1 feed, you're not going to get this stuff. And if you don't want that stuff, then great. If you do, then either also also subscribe to the Channel F feed, which I'll be making available here shortly on iTunes and and what have you, or change your subscription from Channel 1 to All Channels. I recommend the All Channels feed anyway because it's higher fidelity. There's no content limit per month. I'm limited to two two hours a month on the Channel 1 feed. There's no limit on the All Channels feed. And those episodes never expire on the All Channels feed like they do on Channel 1. But the reason I have different feeds is 
so you can pick and choose what you want to hear and what you don't want to hear. So do as you see fit with that information. But be on the lookout for Nerd Noise Radio Channel F. Now, for my last update, I'm working on lining up a group of people to join Eric Purcell and myself on the upcoming Nerd Noise Radio Channel 2. I'll be reaching out to many people in the scene already, but if you'd be interested in being involved on a onesie twosie basis, sitting in with Eric and I sharing video game music, particularly if you're already involved in the VGM video game and or podcasting scene, hit me up. I'd like to get a huge cloud of people who join Eric and I on a rare occasion, maybe say twice a year to once every two years, somewhere in that range. I'm hoping to have Channel 2, Episode 1 appear on iTunes, YouTube, and everywhere else we are, we are sometime in calendar 2017 yet. So please let me know if you're interested and we can get all the details worked out. Now, I know it's neither Christmas season, nor is it even July, where the ironic Christmas in July thing would make this move make even a little sense. But I didn't want to leave you with absolutely nothing to listen to for this episode-less June 2017. So I'll leave you with a recording I made back in December 2016, retelling a memoir I wrote about my bittersweet, hugely significant Christmas 1989. Many of you know the story already, be that from reading it in Retro, Time, Retro Gaming Times Monthly Magazine in, back in 2012, or from its myriad appearances on the Retro League forums, or from having it, ha- it having been featured at the close of an episode of Two Dudes in the NES back in January, or heck, even from having heard it on our own YouTube channel. But for those of you who haven't heard it, I hope it's an amusing and or heartwarming story. Also, I know this is a long shot, but if you're hearing this and you are or you know the kid from my story in Apartment 10, geez, get a hold of me ASAP. Lastly, I hope you won't mind the less-than-perfect audio recording of the memoir. If anything, hopefully it'll just serve to show how much I've progressed in these past six months. All right, gang, that's all I've got. Here's to hoping you like what I have planned for Season 2 of Nerd Noise Radio Channel 1. Here's to hoping that everything goes as planned for the launch of Nerd Noise Radio Channel 2. And here's to hoping that you dig the stuff that will come out now and every now and then on the quirky new Nerd Noise Radio Channel F. Thanks for listening, and until then... Y the N. P.S. Our background music for this announcement is Electric Toothbrush from Jet Grind Radio on the Sega Dreamcast, composed by Hideki Naganuma. Also, NES-themed Christmas background music from the memoir is produced by DJ Octorok from his collection, 8-Bit Jesus. Not Today, featuring Michelle Dobine, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that right, is produced by the Gregory Brothers, and, of course, We Didn't Start the Fire, is by Billy Joel. This is John from Nerd Noise Radio, and I'm here today to share with you one of my favorite Christmas memories. It's the memory of Christmas 1989. Now, a few years ago, for a now-defunct magazine called Retro Gaming Times Monthly, I wrote a memoir of this event uh, in an article called The Fire and the Glory and the Unfortunate Truth About What Happened to the Transformers. So, without further ado, why don't I go ahead and read that article? <clears throat> Sunday, December 24th, into Monday, December 25th, 1989, 1411-22nd Street, Apartment 3, Des Moines, Iowa. We lived in the ghetto. We lived in Apartment 3 of a standalone 12-unit, three-story apartment building. Apartment 3 was in the northeast corner of the bottom floor. Apartment 10, which will be important later, 
was in the southwest corner of the top floor, as far away from apartment 3 as possible. It was Christmas Eve, and I couldn't sleep. My brother Jesse and I, 8 and 9 years old respectively, shared a room, and my bed was right under the window, affording me a good view of the southeast night sky. I lay there, sleepless, watching the sky for any sign of a certain airborne, venison-propelled carriage commandeered by its cheerfully corpulent custodian. Instead, all I was presented with was a swath of stars, muted by the inner city's glow, winking back at me as if to assure me of their shared vigil. Rising starkly against the night sky was the KCCI weather beacon, oblivious to such trivial matters, singularly focused to the point of mania with whether it was going to be warmer, cooler, dry, or wet. At long last, the search for Santa proved sufficiently exhausting, and I fell asleep. Next thing I knew, I was awakened very fervently by one of my parents, the other one having an even harder time with Jesse, telling us to get up in a hurry. There was a fire. At first I received this with skepticism, suspecting a clever ruse was afoot and we were about to be herded out to a pleasant parade of presents. But when I made it to the living room and received my first whiff of smoke, I realized this was no ruse at all. Entering the hallway was surreal and almost dreamlike. It was slightly hazy. There was a flurry of people, most of whom I recognized as other tenants but could neither name nor assign to units. Firemen were also among those in the haze, trying to see us to safety. With that same end in mind, Mom vigorously herded us out to our 1975 Chevy Nova, while Dad ran back, to se ran back in to secure a uniquely valuable item. As it turns out, apartment 10 was the one that was on fire, and since we were completely diagonal from it, horizontally and vertically, we were not in imminent danger. Of course, the fire department wasn't about to take any chances, and so they were evacuating everybody. Moreover, I do not believe that my parents were aware yet that the danger was so remote, and thus, Dad's flight back into the house, even if not in reality, was in perception, and therefore intent, a mad plunge back into mortal danger. Meanwhile, Mom, Jesse, and I were seated in the car, seeing only the red glow in the sky and the commotion below, the building itself blocking our view of the inferno. Now, while I do not remember this particular detail myself, I receive it in good faith from reliable sources that at one point during our automotive exile, I spontaneously broke into a chorus of Billy Joel's 1989 hit, We Didn't Start the Fire, demonstrating for all present just what kind of grasp this nine-year-old had on the gravity and severity of the situation playing itself out before him. So transfixed were we with the scene that we nearly failed to notice Dad run towards, around, and finally behind the car to load a blanket-wrapped something into the trunk. After an unknown period of time, the all-clear was given and we were able to return, but not before Dad rushed the unknown object back into the house ahead of us. I do not recall having any trouble falling back to sleep, but I guess Dad never did, opting to stay awake in the living room for fear of any possible reignition. When Mom and Dad woke us up around 7 that morning, the customary hour for presents in our house, it was with full assurance that there was no emergency this time, but instead, it was time to get up and unwrap things. So, we padded out in our PJs and took up residence in the shadow of the majestic old aluminum tree, awash in the glow from its trusty sidekick, the color wheel, buzzing its way through the cycle of red, green, blue, and yellow. Blue was my favorite. 
yellow my least. Once nestled around the tree, the customary organized chaos ensued, and the neatly wrapped packages surrendered their carefully concealed secrets. We received some Transformers from my Uncle Paul. These will be important later in the story. There were also several things which, for which I cannot remember. Then Dad handed Jesse and I each a squarish package to unwrap. They were game cartridges for the NES. His was Donkey Kong Jr., and mine was Excitebike. This revelation threw the room into confusion. Okay, that's overstating it, but it did cause Jesse and I to look at each other in confusion. What gives? Clearly this was all a mistake, so I felt it was incumbent upon me to straighten Dad out. Now what follows is my correction address, if not verbatim, as close to it as I can manage. Oh, wow, thank you, Dad. Thank you very much. But these are Nintendo games. We have an Atari. You see, Nintendo is a way cooler, more powerful system, and our Atari just can't play them. Now everyone, including yours, truly agrees that it's the you see part that makes it so great. As I was making my attempt to bring clarity to the situation, Dad's way of handling it was to just sit there and let the grin on his face get bigger and bigger. After I was done, he allowed the words to hang in the air for a moment before playing dumb and saying, Oh, my mistake. Well, here you go. And he reached back behind the couch and pulled out a much larger wrapped package. Our, to that point, greatest hopes and dreams and aspirations in life were then realized when an NES emerged from underneath the wrapping paper. This was not only a Nintendo, it was THE Nintendo. The one that came with Super Mario Brothers and Duck Hunt, two controllers, and the Zapper light gun. I don't remember anything from the next 30 minutes. This period of time is a blackout. It is lost to me. All I know about it is that Jesse and I went absolutely berserk. The sheer magnitude of the joy and excitement we felt must have temporarily taken my long-term memory recording device offline like a lightning strike to a power grid. Again, I have an unreliable report that I was running and jumping up and down through the hall between the living room and the bedrooms, shouting repeatedly, I can't believe it's mine! So, after a brief but insufferable waiting period while the NES was set up, Jesse and I eagerly jumped in and started playing. It was too good to be true. It didn't seem real. Or perhaps more accurately, it was that everything did seem so real. When you're used to Atari 2600, then the even to us now basic NES graphics sound and depth seem nothing short of magical and epic. Now, of course, this wasn't the first time we had experienced the glory that was the NES. We had friends in the complex that had them and let us play. We also had numerous opportunities to bask in the mind-altering glow at several stores in the area. But this was different, because this was ours. We didn't have to go home. We were home. We didn't have to covet. It was ours. Now we could play it any time we wanted. Oh, the magic, the greatness, the glory. At some point, we goaded Mom into trying Mario, 
and for her first amazing feat, she plunged headlong into a fatal collision with the game's first Goomba. After getting the hang of the Goombas, jumping on or around them, things went smoothly, until about 30 seconds later when she encountered the game's very first pit. It proved too alluring to resist. Her difficulty with the game was probably for the best, though, as our eagerness to reclaim the controllers quickly eroded any patience the spectacle produced. A short time later, we were told that Uncle Paul was on his way, and were instructed to demonstrate that we deeply appreciated the Transformers. The Transformers? That's right! We had totally forgotten! So, when the knock came, I rushed up, snatched the Transformer from its place, answered the door, and immediately launched into a profusion of half-sincere thank yous. To help underscore the half-honest interest and completely dishonest zeal, I decided to demonstrate the toy's transformative powers when the unthinkable happened. It broke. I stood locked in shock and horror as time phenomenologically lurched to a halt. But then the moment passed, time resumed, and I went back to playing Nintendo. Eventually, Paul tried his hand as well, producing nearly identical results to Mom's misadventures. And that was Christmas 1989, the most memorable Christmas of my life. Now, it didn't take long for the details of the fire to emerge. Apparently, the mother came home drunk and fell asleep on the couch with a lit cigarette in her mouth. This set off a chain of events which led me to sing We Didn't Start the Fire from a parked car in the middle of the night. The woman was okay. I, she was probably a little singed, but she was okay. Nobody died in the fire, but this woman and her son lost everything. Their apartment and all it contained were completely destroyed. Moreover, the apartments directly below received major water damage, and the other apartments on the third floor received major smoke damage. The hallway was rendered an oily, pitch-black smear from the smoke and heat, and the smoke detector, which had faithfully sounded the alarm from its ceiling perch, died in the line of duty, melting into a gruesome caricature and falling to the floor. The boy from apartment 10 was more or less our age. We had made his acquaintance, probably through playing in the halls, but never got close to him. I don't even remember his name. It also emerged that we were not going to be the only kids in the building that got a Nintendo that year. He was going to as well. Of course, his was ruined in the fire, sitting under what used to be a Christmas tree, and it all came to naught. They moved away after that, and I never knowingly saw or heard from him or about him again. I hope that the experience hasn't scarred him. I hope his life has gone better since. I hope his mother got straightened out. I hope that he got his Nintendo. to get the chance to speak with him again, but not knowing his name or anything about him, what are the odds? The contrast between his Christmas and mine and his parents and mine are as stark as the white painted walls on our first floor hallway and the murky black smudge that was the third floor. Our day of extreme joy contrasted with his day of pain and fear, 
The respect and admiration for my parents engendered by the contrast with his mother is a paradox that will remain with me until the day I die. His mother got drunk and started a fire, which destroyed their home and his Nintendo, damaged several others' homes, and most likely ruined all their Christmases that year. My mother whisked us out to the safety of the car. My father, not knowing he was safe, thinking he was risking his life, and indeed risking his life in spirit, if not in truth, rushed back in to rescue our NES from the inferno, preferring to face peril for the sake of a mere video game, simply because he knew the NES would mean the world to his boys. All these things serve to make the memory of Christmas 1989 at 1411 22nd Street and the final analysis a very bittersweet one, and yet among my most cherished. Thank you for listening. That's the story, and we will talk to you later.